Hey everyone, welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode number 57. And today I have a two-parter for you all. First, a conversation with Dave Thompson, who is the president of the Arkansas Climbers Coalition, and a second conversation with Crystal Huddleston and Keith Maricata with Climbers of Color. Both of these conversations stemmed from all of us attending Access Fund's annual conference that was held in Bentonville, Arkansas in November last year. Given that last year's conference was held in Arkansas, it of course made perfect sense to have one of our local hosts on the show to discuss all things climbing in Arkansas. It may not be new news to many folks that Arkansas is the latest hotbed for recreation in the U.S. As Dave states in the episode, so many residents of Arkansas have a strong tie to the outdoors through activities or sports like hunting and fishing. But now that climbers and mountain bikers are making their presence well known in Arkansas, it really seems to be grabbing people's attention, even at the federal level, which he and I unpack a little bit. Dave enthusiastically shares some stories with us about climbing in this lesser known part of the Southeast and what the ARCC has accomplished over the years to get them to where they are now as an organization and some secrets he wishes he could share with us about where the organization is headed into the future. But we'll just have to wait and see what the ARCC has up their sleeve. Now on to Crystal and Keith. They were attending the conference last year to accept an award on behalf of Climbers of Color for their exceptional work in the DEI space. I got to meet both of them very briefly when we were in Arkansas during a bolting clinic at the conference. I mentioned this in the episode, but every time I looked over at the other bolting group standing next to me, I always seemed to notice that either Crystal or Keith were getting in there, practicing the skills, placing or removing different kinds of bolts. It was clear to me right away that they were fully engaged and there to learn. I mean, these two were awesome. They were so excited to be on the show and for the opportunity to showcase what they have going on up in Washington with Climbers of Color. The COC is an, a nonprofit organization that provides mentorship, technical training, and courses in climbing, mountaineering, and backcountry skiing, all aimed at creating leaders of color in the outdoor industry. These courses and trainings are their bread and butter, but beyond that, they are very engaged in stewardship efforts at some of their local climbing areas, focusing on development, rebolting, and trail building. Crystal was particularly interested in discussing this and was very proud to show off the conservation work that the COC has been involved in. Much of these efforts that the COC has done has happened at a little crag called Gritscone. Not to be confused with Gritstone, but Gritscone, like the delicious breakfast pastry, as Crystal points out in the episode. This area is near North Bend, Washington, and the other area that we highlight in the episode is at the legendary Gold Bar Boulders, located near Index. Since conservation and stewardship aren't typically discussed very often with affinity groups, Crystal was uh, very excited to take this opportunity to give it some attention that it certainly deserves and highlight the blood, sweat, and tears, and lots of love that's being put into caring for these special places. It became clear to me very quickly why Crystal and Keith were the recipients of their award at last year's conference. And much like Dave and the ARCC, I'll be watching very close to see what they accomplish next. With that, I'd like to introduce you to the guests in today's episode. Please enjoy my conversations with Dave, Crystal, and Keith. 
Before we get into the episode, I'd like to give thanks and show some love to the sponsors and supporters of the show. Black Diamond, Adidas Turex, and Plugtone Audio. Thank you all for the continued support of the Climbing Advocate podcast and dedication to the climbing community. Yeah, I'm David Thompson, uh, the current president of the Climbers Coalition. Uh, my job is to kind of facilitate um, our board to take on tasks that land managers give us or problems that are in our community, uh, sit down as kind of a liaison between our community and uh, land managers and uh, uh, just, yeah, pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into some land management stuff here shortly. Is this your, is this your real, your main gig or is this kind of a, the side hustle for you? <laughs> I wish, uh, we are 100% <laughs> a volunteer board. Uh, my, my day job is I, I work as a firefighter here in our local community. Oh, awesome. Good for you. Really cool. Really cool. How long have you been with the ARCC? Um, I, since 2016. Okay. Did you start off as like a regular volunteer and kind of blossom into this role? Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been, uh, I've been a climber since 2010 and right away it was, you know, you know, hanging out with guys who are on the board and, uh, you know, them making me go do, to rebolting events and stewardship days. And it kind of stumbled into, Hey, why don't you just, you know, get on the board with us and, uh, uh, eventually that stumbled into, you know, me kind of reluctantly becoming president um, I believe in 2019, I believe. So I've been doing that ever since. All right. Good. Yeah. I mean, we'll get, yeah, we'll get into so much, so much more of this, but I feel like you guys have a really solid, just solid foundation in the climbing community there in Arkansas. I mean, everyone, I, I was only at the conference, uh, back in November, the access funds conference, um, for like 12 hours, I kind of had an emergency. I had to leave on Saturday to go tend to, but um, every, I just gathered really quick that everyone's a really passionate climber around Arkansas. I was really psyched to have the conference there. So I wanted to ask you about that. Like, how did you enjoy having the conference in your backyard this year? What did that mean to you guys? Right. Um, so first off, backing up a little bit, I've always wanted to go to an Access Fund conference. And uh, we all, we have in our budget to send people to the access fund conference every single year and some reason whether it just be we have it's doesn't work out with my schedule or there's too many people who want to go and so i usually yield to them to go to an access fund conference so this was my very first one and uh, so right. i didn't really know what to expect um but uh i, I really enjoyed it and of course I, I like when there's events in arkansas um but uh, getting so many people in the same room who um, are kind of in the same headspace when it comes to climbing because there's so much more than just going out and climbing rocks and going home uh there's a lot in the back end that there's a ton of volunteers um that are constantly making sure that that, that fun day at the crag that you get to have continues to happen um and so it's 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 really refreshing to hear other lcos other groups who are struggling with the same things hearing their successes them hearing our successes and kind of an exchange of ideas and um just you know supporting each other um uh so that way it's not just us you know here locally feeling like we're struggling alone <laughs> with these issues. so it was it was really really nice and I look forward to going to, to more um, conferences in the future. Yeah, good. Yeah, I think this was like my seventh or eighth one. And it's every year. It's just, it's awesome. I've gotten to travel the country and meet so many different people doing great work uh, in their region. And I'm so glad that you had a good time and it was useful for you. 
Did you attend the workshops on the Friday? Uh, yeah, Friday and Saturday. Was there one in particular on Friday that stood out to you? Um, yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, trying to remember each day. There was just so much. It was like turning the fire hydrant on and trying to drink, you know. Um, totally. So I can't remember exactly which which ones were on which day, but going to Megan Evans, Evans uh, conference on, uh, or her workshop on, um, uh, taking your LCO to a 514 or a 515 LCO. Um, I learned a lot of stuff as far as just restructuring and, um, organizing our LCO to just be more efficient and, uh, uh, maybe help take the workload off of some of the board members who, um, are experiencing some burnout. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important thing to consider when you're uh, running an LCO and having a board, you know, full of volunteers, you got to get some fresh ideas in there and, and let people, you know, term off at, right. uh, at a respectful time. Well, why don't we get into the ARCC a little bit? I'd love to learn some more about the nuts and bolts of the organization and about like when you all started and the impetus for the foundation of the organization or the founding, excuse me, of the organization and kind of where, what, what, it, what it has taken you guys to where you are today. The ARCC was founded with a small group of climbers out of Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, and, you know, I've, I've asked multiple times from some of those old guys why they did it. And I, I get different answers on the, uh, depending on the person, you know, who was involved in the beginning. And uh, I think I just kind of a collective idea. It was just more of just growing our community, um, being on the front lines of dealing with issues and uh, there, in Arkansas, just like most of the Southeast, there's a lot of private rock. Um, there's just a ton. And so their, their original vision was to, um, you know, get into land acquisitions and, uh, you know, kind of go down that path. So mm -hmm. that's how it kind of started. Um, and uh, I think it slowly evolved into uh, a lot more stewardship than those guys had originally intended. Uh, and that's kind of where I came in and, the, you know, the mid 2000s helping out with a lot of the rebolting and erosion control in the area um and so yeah right now we are um looking at some acquisition stuff uh you know that's 20 years later from the founding of our organization we're we're just now kind of diving into to more of the acquisitions uh you know uh streams for sure uh, kind of playing around with those. Um, one of the, the one successes that we had last year was opening Fitzgerald uh, in downtown Springdale, uh, partnering with a mountain bike group uh, there locally to open a, a, a crag for uh, the locals in Northwest Arkansas. That's where most of the climbing is focused, right? In Arkansas, it's in the kind of the Northwest corner of the state. No, it's more North central. North Central. Yeah, okay. most of the most of the climbing is concentrated in Newton County, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. um, if no, and most people have no idea where that's at, and I always tell them it's about an hour south of Branson, Missouri. Uh, so it's almost dead center of the northern part of the state. So yeah, most people know of Arkansas for the northwest corner, um, just because it's uh, really densely populated. It's expanding constantly. There's a little bit mm -hmm. of climbing over there, um, but nothing like Newton County. We're, we're finding new new walls all the time. Mm -hmm. well, I'm going to make note of that because I kind of want to circle back towards uh, that, that the new walls thing. Um, well, it's funny you reference a, a town in a different state to kind of 
ge- geographically talk about yeah, your zone. Got to get oriented because <laughs> uh, most people know where Branson, Missouri is at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like a four corners area. It's like Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma. Yeah, Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, isn't – I think one of the gentlemen that did the rebolting clinic on that Saturday came over from Oklahoma maybe. Um, well, Chase – probably Chase Webb. Um, mm-hmm. He's originally from Oklahoma, but uh, he now lives in uh, northwest Arkansas. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned owning property and acquisitions. I mean, it's a very common theme among all the southeastern folks I've talked to on the show. You know, it's just kind of the the lack of federal land that leads you all to to owning the land, right? Uh, right. So, how many how many areas do you guys have? Well, I mean, we don't currently own any property the fitzgerald okay. track that we opened was uh it's owned by the mountain biking group um, oh they actually own it okay. they actually own the property and uh we helped them open the the cliff line that was there um in partner with the access fund uh, along with some private uh donors to kind of open that whole area for recreation mm-hmm. um but as far as the organization we have uh, a couple of things in the pipeline, um, you know, <laughs> uh, people ask me all the time, like, when are we going to buy our first crag for Arkansas? And I just keep telling them, like, just just wait, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, you know, being under contract with certain parcels um, in this north central area, multiple different times, working with the access fund, trying to get those places open. Um, you know, it's just it's just sometimes it can be a. Uh, a labor intensive process. Uh, but one of these days before my time has gone off the board, we will have a area open for the community owned by climbers. All right. Right. I like the, like the sound of that. It always, it always floors me just being able to know I can go to an accounting assessor site and see like an LCO's name there under the title holder. You know, it's pretty neat and labor intensive. I think that's a very much an understatement for trying to buy land, especially as a is a nonprofit like climbing group. <laughs> right. And I, and I think most people have bought, you know, a home or property. And uh, I, I think that buying it with a non buying property with a nonprofit and trying to open it to the community is even harder. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, so that's why I think it's just taking us a long time. There's just a lot of, uh, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, getting everybody on the same page getting landowners in the area on the same page as well. Um, you know, trying to talk to neighbors to a specific property and kind of make them understand that, you know, climbers are great to work with, uh, great to great neighbors. They're not going to be out there, you know, tearing up anything on your property. And, uh, obviously there's all, always bad apples. Um, but, uh, uh, trying to convince them that it's, it's okay that we're, you know, somebody you want to work with. Um, is, mm-hmm. is tough because a lot of people don't understand climbers, especially, you know, people who that they've lived there their entire lives and that's all they do is hunt fish, uh, you know, run cows. That's uh, climbing. They, it just doesn't make any sense to them. And uh, so it's just so much, it's so much easier for them just to say no. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you get them to say yes? Like what are, what's kind of your elevator pitch to, to make them not uh, make it not sound so foreign to them? Right. Um, I think each each landowner that we've dealt with so far um, is uh, they're they're very unique individuals, just like anybody. 
Um, and so finding the right person from the climate community to approach them. Uh, Cause I know like for an example, we had uh, a property under contract in 2018 and I was kind of the catalyst for that, for that acquisition. But as it, as it unraveled that uh, landowner, you could tell did not like me uh, no matter what I said, no matter what <laughs> I did uh, as nice as I could be, as respectful as I could be, uh, he just did not like me. And so we, we kind of, regrouped and we sent a different board member up there to kind of kind of continue the negotiations absolutely loved him um unfortunately uh, that acquisition kind of fell through uh due to appraisals and nonprofit laws on gifting and uh we mm-hmm. unfortunately just couldn't get everybody on the same page with the landowner what what uh, he thought the place was valued for so it's still there it's still a potential uh maybe somewhere down the road um, but, uh, yeah, so really it's just trying to find the right person to go in and do the negotiations, um, and, uh, is the, is kind of the key for us that we've learned so far. Um, obviously as far as LCOs go, um, buying land, we're not pros, we're not experts. Um, I mean, the SEC probably owns more properties than any LCO in the country and, uh, mm-hmm. they seem to kind of have it kind of figured out down there and, uh, talking with them. It seems like just persistence, you know, obviously if someone's going to tell you, no, that's fine. You know, let's check back in four or five months and just keep a, a relationship. And so we have tried to learn from them. And I think that's paying off right now. Um, we have multiple crags across the state on private property that we've uh, attempted to get under contract or just, you know, hey, can we rock climb? Can we get a lease? What can we do here? Um, and it's been no's. And so we just are really consistent about um reaching out to those landowners and just kind of keeping a touch base with them, you know, Hey, how's it going? How's, how's the family? Or, uh, you know, you, you, you still, you still a no on selling that property. Okay. No problem. Well, if you ever change your mind, don't forget my number, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and eventually one of these days they're going to be sitting around thinking, you know, wow, those climbers, man, they're, they're nice guys. And, uh, maybe, maybe we should sell our property to them. So that's kind yeah. of the hope, you know, we can't force yeah. anybody to do anything so we can just be nice and, for the best yeah for sure well i'm glad you mentioned you know a lease or something because there are are the mechanisms to gain access to the private property besides outright owning it right conservation easements and and that kind of thing have you all explored you know that kind of model oh yeah uh yeah and maybe that's a bit of a downfall for us because we kind of approach that landowner of like whatever you want you know name your price name a lease you know um Name whatever it is, uh, you know, maybe we can buy the land next door and do a land swap. And we, we try all kinds of things um, to try to just satisfy whatever need that they have. And I think that's the first thing is to find out what it is. Is it a financial need? Are they, you know, are they conservation minded and they want to protect the area? Um, you know, things like that. So, uh, but yeah, we're definitely open to any creative solution. And the Access Fund has actually been a really good resource for that. Um, I know uh, early on, like Joe Sambadero, uh, he was part of that 2018 potential access. Um, and uh, he had a lot of really neat creative ideas that uh, I think would have worked if the landowner um, was a little bit more on our page. Uh, but we learned a lot from that. And, uh, uh, you know, creativity is definitely something that as an LCO, we're going to have to rely on because we're not made of money, you know, and uh, we are, we're not an individual who gets to just decide oh yeah, write a check. We have to answer not only to our board, but we answer to the community in the long run. Yep. 
for sure. No, creativity uh, can often win the game, you know, win the long game. So, right. and I mentioned, I imagine the SCC uh, and, and Meg and that whole team has been a great resource. I mean, they're just kind of right next door in a way for right. you to, to learn from. And maybe you got a little bit of that from her workshop on, on that Friday. Yeah. Yeah, I got a, a lot of nice little tidbits in my notes that uh, we're bringing back to our LCO to make Arkansas just that much better, stronger. Well, great point, making Arkansas better and stronger. I feel like it's kind of at the bullseye in a way right now for recreation. There's a lot of talk about Arkansas, I feel like, in uh, in D.C., in, in the federal level. And um, I just watched a hearing uh, last week or the week before on the Explore Act and, you know, Senator Westerman being kind of at the center of that. And, and uh, a lady testified at that hearing. She's like the head of tourism, something, something at, with the, with the state of Arkansas, yep. forgetting her name at the moment, but there's a lot circulating with Arkansas. I mean, people, especially, you know, Bentonville and that whole area with the mountain biking exploding and, and stuff. So are you able to unpack that for us or at all? And, and shed any light on just how Arkansas is maybe just kind of getting a little bit higher in people's radar? Uh, yeah, like I, I think that, you know, uh, anytime I travel, people kind of, you know, have this kind of preconceived idea of what Arkansas is, that we're just a bunch of, you know, rednecks down here with no shoes and plumbing and no water, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, and to their, you know, uh, credit, like there are people for sure down here like that. But for the most part, you know, everybody's very outdoor minded, you know, whether we grew up hunting fishing, you know, on the lake, on the rivers, uh, you know, outdoors a real, you can go to anybody who lives in Arkansas and being outside is a real passion for them, no matter their hobby. Um, and so I think that, uh, when it comes to the politics here, um, you know, they are all, all politicians and businesses are waking up to the idea of recreational tourism. Um, I think that it's already kind of been something here with hunting and fishing and uh, things like that. But, you know, with mountain biking and rock climbing, even down to like, you know, paragliding and things of that nature, uh, people are starting to wake up of like, oh, wow, there's a lot of return on investment. Um, you know, if we open up a mountain bike park with rock climbing involved in it, uh, we can uh, we can do a lot of uh, return on investment there. And so we're, we're fortunate to have uh, Senator Westerman um, and um, our governor currently, um, you know, no matter what side of the aisle you fall on, um, our governor currently is very um, pro-recreation. And uh, that's all, as far as us here in the climate community, that's all we can hope for is that our politicians can see our vision for protecting climbing areas. Um, and and, uh, and so it's it's nice when we have all of our politicians kind of lining up to help us protect these spaces um, and potentially, um, you know, help us with those acquisitions so that we can, you know, protect those for a long time. Um, you know, and so I think that that's kind of stumbled into a climbing management plan with our state parks um, over the last few years that we, um, if, along with the access fund, we've kind of championed. Uh, which we're hopeful that this year we're going to see some uh, some fruit from all that labor, uh, that climbing management plan, maybe hopefully seeing some climbing opening up on some of our state park land. Um, so we're just kind of waiting for that process to kind of come full circle. But uh, yeah, just here in Arkansas, it just seems like everybody's kind of getting behind uh, this outdoor 
um, tourism thing, and uh, they want to see how they, you know, can be a part of it. Even our game and fish, um, you know, I don't know if you saw at the Access Fund conference, uh, we had a, a game and fish officer there, and his job was a newly appointed uh, recreational manager for game and fish lands. Um, and uh, we, so he has this kind of mentality of, of climbing and uh, mountain biking is kind of a potential on their land. Um, and it's actually, a, it's kind of a funny story that wildlife officer used to be the director of uh, the um, a state park foundation, well, a state park department that owns rock climbing in Arkansas that we have adopted as an ARCC board. Um, we take right. care of it's called D D Dardano Rock. And so this person already had a background with all the work that the ARCC does protecting that area. And so now that he's in this position, he, he's a huge advocate for us uh, with Game and Fish Lands, WMAs of just kind of like, hey, the climbers are awesome. I worked with them over at this agency. Um, they're, they're a group you want to um, get behind and uh, allow on our lands because they're going to take care of it. Um, and so wow. it's kind of a testament to constantly working with those relationships and showing land managers how good we are as climbers because you never know where that land manager, that person you're dealing with, is going to transfer to another department um, mm -hmm. either laterally or, you know, uh, going on to bigger and better things because they're going to be an advocate. Um, I know that we run into um, Forest Service rangers and district managers who go on to like DC from Arkansas. Um, and so the access fund knows that more than anybody else does is that these low level guys dealing with climbers on the weekend at a crag eventually get promoted for their making policies that change everything across the entire United States. And so it's so important, the, the domino effect that we have, you know, constantly when we go out into these native spaces, wild spaces, that we should be treating them with respect treating the rangers with respect because that has a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great point. It's kind of a double-edged sword in a way you're having your, like your local, your local guy or gal or resource with the federal, with the federal agency, you know, leave and having kind of that uh, relationship and that rapport kind of move on. However, if it moves on, you know, up the ladder, up to the, you know, the DC kind of level um, where they're working more in an office than outside, you know, that could have that trick, then it could trickle back down with like more of the blanket, you know, hopefully blanket or uh, national right. policy, which we're kind of working on right now with the park act and everything. Right. And right. trying to get some uh, national level policy with fixed anchors and wilderness. And when it comes to the forest service, I'm sure you guys uh, have a pulse on this, but when it comes to the forest service, you know, their guidance um, also is addressing climbing outside of wilderness areas. And, you know, Eric Murdoch, the policy director of the Access Fund, and I talked about this uh, just last week and and how he, he mentioned Arkansas specifically. And, you know, new walls, like you said earlier, are, are still being discovered. So there's, you know, we're not tapped out on forest land when it comes to climbing resources. So what's going to happen with this uh, guidance and, and how fixed hardware is going to be managed outside of wilderness, you know, with, the, with these new discoveries of new crags and boulders and such, you know, it's going to be... Interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, uh, we're watching that one very, very closely for sure. Only for the fact that I'd say 80% of our climbing is on Forest Service land. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, yeah, um, we're hopeful that they would never close us out on climbing um, because we 
we have made such good relationships with our Forest Service here in Arkansas. They uh, they openly admit that uh, we're one of the best user groups they have. Uh, awesome. We're always out doing the right things. We're helping do do things that other user groups necessarily don't have the, the, the manpower or even the radar to realize that there's an issue. And so we, we keep a good relationship with our forest service here. And, uh, um, I hope that that all the years of us just doing good things and being kind of the, you know, the, the gold star user group for them, it will help play out really well here in Arkansas. <laughs> we're, we're fingers crossed for sure. Uh, Cause it would be pretty detrimental to our area to have uh, any kind of closure or moratorium closed down um, because there's just so much rock here in Arkansas. Uh, at first glance, a lot of people only see a horseshoe, um, mm -hmm. but uh, get outside a horseshoe and you will find just wall after wall after wall, you know, boulder field after boulder field. It's everywhere. It's, I have a lifetime of development to do. Um, you know, it seems like every season I, I order, you know, a couple thousand bolts and uh, <laughs> I put them in, you know, and uh, maybe that's not something you should admit here talking to about the forest service, um, uh. but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but there's always just more potential, you know, there's more rock all around, always around the corner here in Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Horseshoe does kind of overshadow perhaps all the other great resources you have. And I had a few folks tell me how great Fitzgerald was to check out. And it was, right. it was so neat. And the very purposeful bolting and, and everything that you guys are focused on there is is really impressive. And you guys got just got great collaboration, cooperation between all parties involved. Just another exemplary um, LCO yeah. out here doing good work. Well, thanks. Yeah, we work really hard. Um, I'm, I mean, on, on anything, any project we take on. Um, and uh, I feel like we're really fortunate here in this community to have such good people. Uh, there's not like, there, I, I, I don't want to talk bad on any other region, but it definitely seems like in rock climbing, we can get really passionate about certain topics. And uh, there's usually bickering and fighting um, in any, you know, group or community. And it just doesn't seem like it happens here in Arkansas. Uh, we, we definitely have our disagreements, um, but uh, it's not hard for us to just, hey, let's go rock climbing. Let's talk about it. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, or there's just, we, we all know each other. You know, there's probably 3,000 climbers in this state and somehow we all know each other one way or another. And we just, we just get along really well. Um, uh, and I'm really fortunate to be a part of the community that, uh, just wants to see good things happen. Um, and, uh, we just get it done. I noticed you guys did an economic impact study, uh, recently, and I think it, it's closed now, but I, you know, I try to do a little bit of research on it, but just with Bentonville growing up, blowing up and the, just the outdoor recreation in the state blowing up, I wanted to, I wanted to, I was curious what, uh, what came out of that economic impact study, anything profound, come to your guys' attention and how much climbing might be having an impact in, um, in is it Newton County? It was in Newton yeah. County, which I want to say Newton County, I should, I should know this. Um, I want to say Newton County as a whole only has like 10,000 residents in the entire county. Um, there's not a lot of people there. Uh, Jasper is the kind of the big community there, but I mean, <laughs> if anybody's ever been to Jasper, Arkansas, it's, it's it's a small community um and to, so to see that the uh the economic impact that climbers bring to that area was um, just over six million dollars 
uh, was kind of flooring. Uh, I wasn't expecting it to be that big. Um, and it wasn't until the Access Fund conference that we really unpackaged all of that um, to kind of compare new, just one county in Arkansas to other places across the United States on how, you know, the, the climbing is uh, impacting those uh, economies. And uh, we're, we're not, we're not the, the, the best, you know, like we're not the highest, uh, but we're definitely nowhere close to the lowest. Um, and I thought that that was really um, interesting. Uh, and so... I think that uh, as an LCO, we're, we're hopeful that that's going to be a tool for us as we continue to work with uh, municipalities across the state of Arkansas. Uh, we have a couple of different projects in the in the works that are dealing with like city governments. Um, we can kind of use that economic impact study to like kind of point that way of you know, hey, you know, rock climbers do bring their money to regions. Uh, they spend money. You know, we're not just a bunch of dirt bags and vans. Most of us have full-time jobs. Uh, most of us are higher level educated. Um, and uh, yeah, you may see us in a nice sprinter van, but those things are expensive and they need gas. We need food. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe we just need a place to, to sleep and you know rent a cabin or whatever it is. And so that all adds up. And uh, it's, it's a useful tool um, to hopefully open more areas is the way I see it. Um, that's kind of what my hope for it is. Yeah, open new areas. I mean, it's great leverage for grant writing. I mean, it can be used in in multiple ways. And you know, that's you've brought up a good point. And you know, we're not uh, the demographic of this community has changed a lot over the years. And I had did, did James Maples happen to help you out with this study? Yes, he did. I, I figured he did. I figured he had a hand in this. You know, I had him on the show a handful of episodes ago, and we just talked about the Red River Gorge exclusively, and he brought up those same points. I mean, we're not like the dirt bags of of, of lore of, of years past. You know, we're driving this. I'm not, but we're driving the Sprinter vans. You know, and those cost tens of thousands of dollars. We're, you know, we're we master's degrees, and we're. Um, tech people, you know, that, you know, that have high salaries and, and things of that nature. So I think that does go a long way. It's not all about dollars and cents, but right. you know, that's certainly part of the equation and being at the low end at $6 million. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. Well, I mean, Newton County is uh, regionally located. Just we're like the, the epicenter for the Midwest. If you live in Kansas City or, you know, um, Oklahoma City or Dallas, you know, Horseshoe Canyon Ranch right in Newton County is one of the closest, like, actual crags you can go to. Mm -hmm. um, whether you boulder or sport climb or trad climb, it's got it all. Uh, and so we just, we pull in from so many different places, even even into kind of the more of the eastern part of the Midwest, like Kentucky, St. Louis, Memphis, uh, you know, Louisiana, we kind of have all these surrounding states, not not only including, you know, Arkansas, um, but we just everybody kind of comes to this area in such a, a large range. We see all the time, you know, um, license plates from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, even Colorado, uh, which kind of surprises me because Colorado is kind of known for just having such high quality rock. But people come here. Uh, we we have a different season than Colorado does when it gets too cold there. It's perfect here, and so if you if you want to get out of the uh, the the snow, come to Arkansas. There's a ton of rock and a ton of sunshine. Uh, perfect temps this time of year. 
Yeah, right on. Well, yeah, I live in, I'm a Colorado resident myself and I do want to make it back to to Arkansas since my stint there was was so short. And one of my good buddies from from a handful of years ago, he left Colorado and moved to Arkansas. I think he's moved on since then, but he went straight to Arkansas cuz he's like Guys, the rock there is awesome. A little bit more under the radar, you know. Right. It's not like the chat. It's not the, the Chattanooga, you know. Um, there's nothing wrong with Chattanooga, of course, but just <laughs> <Sure>. less, less, <laughs> let, let people around, you know. Just a little bit more under the radar. So yeah, I um, mean, yeah. It's, you know, that we were talking earlier about like most people just know Horseshoe Canyon, um, which is great because you can go to Horseshoe and it is packed full of people for the most part, um, even throughout the week. But go to you know Candy Mountain at Sam's Throne. You may be the only person there on a Sunday in gorgeous tents. You know, there might be another party. That's it. And we're talking just one of the top tier crags in Arkansas, even even like Rock Creek and all these other areas, which we all know that eventually um, it will, you know, have a ton of people. Um, but I'm not sure if Arkansas is ever going to be like the red or the new or anything like that. I, I wouldn't say that we're the, the world class climbing destination of the world. Um, but I always joke that uh, uh, we're a great warm up stop. You know, if you like to climb, if you're if you're coming through the southeast and uh, you're on the beginning of your trip or your end of your trip and you want to warm up or cool down on some like great 12, 5, 12 and under, Arkansas's got it. Uh, we've got so many great moderates, you know, 5, 8, 5, 10, 11s and 12s. Uh, you can just, you know, if that, or if that's your grade, you know, then you're in heaven here. Um, but uh, yeah, if you're a super strong climber, this is a great place to warm up, get on that sandstone and kind of get uh, your mind right. And then, uh, like I said, it's a great place to cool down on your way back west on your way home after a long, you know, season down here. So. All right. All right. I'll keep that in mind for sure. Yeah. So what, what is the, you talked about some acquisitions maybe coming up. I know you want to kind of keep that under your hat or keep those cards close. Um, but what does the future hold for the ARCC? Any big plans for, for the coming years? Um, yeah, I think so. We are, uh, I mean, obviously I would love to talk about things that unfortunately I can't talk about. Uh, all I want to do is just scream to everybody, all these, you know, acquisitions we're working on, but, uh, unfortunately I can't talk about everything. Um, but I do think that, uh, working with our board, we, uh, we are working on our goals for 2024, uh, we're talking about doing some restructuring, uh, some things that we had learned from the Access Fund Conference. Um, and uh, I think that's just going to set us up for expansion. Um, definitely trying to focus on our vision for the future uh, and what value we provide for not only climbers in Arkansas, but like I said, the rest of the Midwest. You know, what are, what are we doing that's... Uh, appealing to them um and uh and i think that goes hand in hand with how do we provide that value and make them make people want to be a part of the organization um and so i think that we have to answer some pretty tough questions right now on what is it that we do provide and uh, what is it that we're doing for our community that justifies um you know a membership and uh, it's more than just a t-shirt uh, on top of that, I think it's just about, you know, how can we get that education out to the public on what we do? Uh, we do so much. And sometimes I feel like as a board, we are, we're almost just scattered. We're so stretched thin as volunteers. And um, kind of my hope for the next year or two is to kind of narrow us in on what it is that we are really trying to accomplish 
um, for the community. Um, so I hope that that leads to some real big stuff in the future, uh, along with acquisitions, but, uh, time will tell. Yeah. Well, I have full confidence. You guys have paid your, paved your path very well to lead towards success. So I, I believe in you, Dave, and I think, uh, some big things will be happening for you guys down the road. No doubt about it. Yeah. And if there's anybody in Arkansas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, even Texas, that's listening to this podcast, we need, we need people on the board. We need ambassadors. We need volunteers. Um, like it's, it's, um, I think a lot of people think that it just happens and that there's uh, there's somebody out there doing all this work, even if you're not aware of it's happening, or maybe you are aware it's happening. You just think it's being handled, but we're constantly uh, needing more people to be involved. So you can always visit on our website, fill out an application for an ambassador or a board position. Um, uh, become a member and get on our mailing list, follow us on social media, um, come to our stewardship events. Um, any any way you, you can help out individually goes a long way. All right, I wanna give a big thanks to Dave for coming on the show and giving us a peek into what they have going on down there in Arkansas. I unfortunately did not get a chance to check out any of the climbing while I was there, but it's certainly been added to the list of the never-ending places that I want to go visit and climb at. <sighs> a good problem to have, right? <laughs> now let's segue into the conversation with Crystal and Keith. Enjoy! Well, I think that's a good segue to get started as we're just talking to start talk about climbing. Um, yeah, joined here by Crystal and Keith. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your evening on this Friday, Friday evening going into the weekend to chat for a little bit and talk about the climbers of color and your time at the Access Fund conference the other week. So why don't we jump into some introductions? Crystal, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? Sure. Uh, my name is Crystal Rose Huddleston. I use she, her, hers pronouns. Uh, you might know me on Instagram as a rose on the rock. My ancestry is second generation Haitian American. So my father immigrated over and about sixth generation Irish American as well. I've been climbing recreationally for nine years now. I started as a people of color uh, climb night host for climbers of color in 2019. And I've been rock guide climbing for the past five years. Um, I'm currently an AMGA single pitch instructor uh, certified instructor and an apprentice rock guide. And I'm soon to be a multi-pitch instructor. I, uh, I did my SPI some years ago and I don't think multi-pitch instructor was a thing at the time. So it's, that sounds kind of new. No, it's very new. I think they've only run three or four courses. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I've been with COC as co-director with Keith actually of rock instruction for the past five years since 2019. And in 2024, I'll actually be transitioning to um, guiding courses still, but also being the rock team instructor. And I've been rebolting sport climbs for the past three years. I don't know how to follow that. It's <laughs> <laughs> an impressive resume. Yes, it is. Uh, my name is Keith Murakata. My pronouns that I use are he, him. My ancestry is African-American, which can be traced all the way back to the slave ships. Uh, according to the genealogy records that my my aunt um, put together, and uh, Japanese. I've been climbing since 2005, which is 18 plus years uh, of recreational climbing. 
Uh, I also served as co-director with, along with Crystal, of Rock Instruction for four years with Climbers of Color. And I also took my SPI course in 2019, and I've been guiding in a single-pitch terrain setting ever since. Uh, I also have been rebolting for three years and uh, also served as COC's accountant for three years. All right. Numbers guy. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yes. Struggled through it, but people got paid. People were happy. Uh, Also, I transitioned to be a board member this past year and a part-time guide in the Mm -hmm. coming years. All right. Do you plan on taking your guiding past the SPI? Do you plan on going to like the multi-pitch or anything or anything beyond that? I love the reward at the end of a single pitch, you know, but I don't, uh, I don't really like multi-pitch. I don't I, think we've ever done multi-pitch together not either. Not together. Years ago, I've done a few. Yeah. But I think the longest multi-pitch was like five pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of those were ledges. Well, there's something, yeah. You're, you're a cragger, as am I. I used to do a lot of multi-pitch long routes, but I have since kind of retired from that. Maybe I'll get back to it one day, but I totally feel, yeah, the reward of just a nice, singular, perfect line is something special to, to that, is for sure. Well, we got introduced uh, briefly, as we were just uh, discussing before we get jumped on here, but we got introduced kind of briefly at the Access Fund Conference just uh, a few weeks ago. And I think it was kind of a big deal for you two to join the conference this year because you both gave short speeches at the awards ceremony. Is that right? We did. Yeah, we got the Jedi Award um, for our work in Climbers of Color. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Was that your first uh, conference either of you have been to? Access Fund Conference? Yes. Yes. Yeah. To me, the Access Fund was always the cool t-shirt. You had to get that t-shirt. <laughs> so it was a $50 t-shirt, but still, if you had it, you were a real climber. Well, how did you, how'd you guys enjoy Bentonville? I didn't get, you know, I was there for only a short time, but I wish I could have stayed the whole weekend. How was your, how was your whole experience joining the conference? I've been to Bentonville before mm-hmm. for another event uh, just last year. Um, but honestly, I was surprised to see so few people of color at the conference. And I was also a bit disappointed when I walked into the affinity space. And even though the folks are nice, I mean, they were all nice people. I felt they didn't share any of my life experience, you know, in the realm of being othered by unapologetic unapologetic racism Mm -hmm. as a visibly presenting brown person. But the pros of the conference uh, were meeting the seasoned climbers that were dedicated to climbing, and some of those conversations were great. So, mm-hmm. Good. And I've never been to Bentonville. I've never had a reason to go, honestly. Um, but with Fitzgerald Mountain, I mean, maybe we have wow. reason to go now. Yes. <laughs> um, so for me... The Access Fund Conference, the reception was warm. There were a couple of conversations that I think were kind of conflicting for me personally. Um, in the Crag Development presentation that they had, I didn't hear any conversations about indigenous, local indigenous tribe um, participation or even 
what their opinions was on land acquisition. And I think this is probably a bigger conversation for Access Fund in general as they do acquire land. Um, but I just didn't hear any conversations about that. So I'd always be curious to hear more about that as well. Mm-hmm. And then conversations around land manager relationships actually honestly really quite shocked me. And funny. Um, there was this these stories that were going around about how in order to access private land, you just go to the private land manager owner and you plop down on their porch with like a six pack or whatever um, and you access their land. And so I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, people of color really just can't do that, unfortunately. It's not an accessible way for people of color to access land. Even fathom that. Or even fathom that, right? So I was a little bit shocked by that narrative that I have not been familiar with for accessing land. Um, Mm. I did enjoy the presentation on the crag development quite a bit. And the rebolting session especially because uh, although we have been rebolting for a little bit now, we've never done glue-ins. It's not a common practice here in Washington. So I asked them if we could make some time to do glue-ins and Chase Webb, the instructor, made time and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I saw you over there getting in on the glue-ins. Oh yeah. Uh, Can I jump in? Um, That was also probably my favorite part of the the conference. Yeah. I liked the gathering outside the gym. Uh, it was casual. We were outside um, in chairs, and they had food for us. That was nice. Um, but I'd like to thank Dennis Nelms. He's the co-founder of Climb Bentonville. And the night before, I had a conversation with Dennis, and I asked him if he could please bring supplies for the gluons because that's something that we had never done. And they did that exclusively at Mount Fitzgerald, which was really impressive. And Thanks, Dennis, for uh, for bringing those those items. Yeah, every time I glanced over, I was like in the group in the middle. Every time I glanced over by your guys's group, either I feel like either one or two of you were down there, either drilling something or, or doing one of the gluons, like get, getting in there. And you know, I took that as like an introductory course a little bit. I've done a handful of rebolting, but you know, you guys are a few years into it and you're still learning something new. I will say I'm a little rusty at taking five piece bolts out because around here there's a lot of wedge bolts okay which are which are kind of easier because the sleeve you know on the expansion bolts those five piece you know can get stuck in there and it's a little bit more of a process to get those out i think the wedges are a little harder myself. are they a little harder (laughs) but but maybe i've just taken out so many now i'm like ah you know i just yeah (laughs) well well practice got your reps in you know i want to kind of go back to a couple I don't know, I want to say critiques, but just, you know, reflecting on your experience and maybe how it was a little bit different than you expected. But um, I was reading in a little magazine uh, earlier this week about land acknowledgement and what it means to go beyond land acknowledgement. And I think they ter- the term that they used it was uh, land introduction. It was like kind of the maybe the next step beyond just like the Instagram post with the little pin and what territory it might be, but like maybe more of like, uh, I, I think what they might've been getting at was like land introduction, meaning just, just more of an educational thing. And I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that term, like introduction rather than uh, acknowledgement. We're not, I don't think so. No, I mean, acknowledgement we do at Climbers of Color, it is a common practice for us and we do mm-hmm. try to 
get more involved with bringing the indigenous population into climbing as well. But I also think a big organization such as the Access Fund, when they are acknowledging um, indigenous populations, the most powerful thing they could do, of course, is land back, right? (laughs) So I think at the very least, if they are still going to acquire land for recreational purposes for climbing, they should be involved in those conversations. Keith and I are not of that demographic, so we can't speak in depth about it. I do know there's been um, people that have been talking about this like indigenous women hike on Instagram that have a lot to say on the topic for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, land for climbing will continue to be acquired, um, especially like in the Eastern US and, you know, kind of that Southern Southeast region by Arkansas, you know, since they are dealing with private landowners, it's not federal land like we deal with in the West. So it's a little bit of a different model. So yeah, that'll be, uh, of course, very important to keep exploring and incorporating in, in future acquisitions. Couldn't agree more. Well, let's get into Climbers of Color a bit in the COC. And do you want to introduce uh, the organization, its mission and and you already talked about your roles a little bit, but you want to just, yeah, give us a, give us a rundown what the organization looks like. Yeah, this is Crystal Strength. So <laughs> you uh, let, me take let you take this. Yeah, yeah fire away. Uh, so Climbers of Color was founded in 2017 in Seattle, Washington. And our mission is to increase access to climbing for Black, Indigenous, and or people of color. So you'll hear us refer to that as BIPOC or POC for short, which is people of color as well. Um, And we provide educational courses and supportive mentorship to create leaders of color in the the climbing industry. So essentially, our strongest point is our courses. So we have outdoor courses ranging anywhere from rock climbing courses to mountaineering courses, backcountry, skiing, and avalanche education as well. Um, And we also have POC climb nights at various gyms throughout the Seattle region in Tacoma and Bremerton as well. Um, The one unique thing about our organization is that we all are POC run and participant entity. So all of our courses, the participants are people of color, all of our guides, our photographers, the people actually constructing the courses were all people of color as well. Um, And one aspect that we'd like to highlight a little bit today is one that, like you said, you don't see on the website, right, Um, our conservation work that has been kind of behind the scenes a little bit. Uh, And there's three projects that um, we'd like to talk about. One of them we'll go into depth a little bit later, um, but... The first two would be Rebolting Sport Climbs in Washington. This was a project um, put together by Gabriel Cisneros. So thank you, Gabriel. He wanted to see other climbers of color out there rebolting sport climbs, developing and maintaining crags. Um, And so we partner with the Washington Climbers Coalition, our local um, climbing organization. And we put on a ground school for the past three years to teach people of color how to rebolt. The past two years, we've actually taken it a step further and taken them out to mentor them how to replace aging hardware on actual climbs in the Washington area. Um, the second one is Gold Bar Crag and Trail Maintenance. Gold Bar is Seattle's premier bouldering area. Yay! Yay. It's the closest one to Seattle. It's pretty great. Applause. 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 I've heard amazing um, things about Gold Bar. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. The yeah. approach, not as much. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. The approach was a lot shorter years ago because we could drive almost all the way up 
yeah, they've gated it off and now it's a huge access road. But we get up there to do trail maintenance every year. Um, and actually in 2022, we had a trail maintenance day with Access Funds Community Connections Conservation Team as well. So we got to hang out with them and talk about the Access Fund and their positions. And that was a lot of fun. That was great. Yeah. yeah. And the third project would be Gritscone Crag, um, which we can talk about in depth a little bit later because that's our biggest conservation project. Yeah, let's do that for sure. Yeah, I'm so glad you're excited to talk about the conservation and, and stewardship work because I think that's something that's commonly associated with an LCO like the Washington Climbers Coalition or the Salt Lake Climbers Alliance, you know, those like established groups like that. And are, is this like a, is this a different, I feel like the COC is like different in, in multiple ways than, than other groups. Like you're like a guiding company and you're out there doing like the stewardship work. Is this a, a unique organization in, in regards to that? I would say yes. I think the most, and I'm not dogging the local guiding companies at all, but the most that I've seen them do, there's um, one that has adopted a highway kind of near the local crags. That's great. And the other one was them scrubbing graffiti off, which is also valid as well. Mm -hmm. But the Grit Scrum project that we have been engaging with has been so much more than that. It's not aesthetics. um, And it's just, it's so much more... Mm-hmm. work and organizing um and, and so it's definitely a labor of love definitely yeah and so i think uh guiding companies i'm sure they do conservation work but i'm not sh- i haven't seen it to this extent and also if you look on the affinity side as well i haven't heard it to this extent either so i i suppose right, right it's unique in that way that we're modeled like a guiding company um as a nonprofit of course but also as an affinity group as well. But I do think one of the differences, um, and I'm not sure about this, but I believe is the fact that the guides make a living doing that. And we do this as volunteers. So we only get uh, payment when we go out to guide on the weekends. He's talking about us as directors. Absolutely. But I'm also talking about... uh, the way we're structured. We do have guides that do this as a full-time job as well. Okay. A few. Yes. A few, yeah, absolutely. But are, are most of them volunteer guides? No. Okay. So the way that we're structured, and I think the thing that Keith is getting at is a lot of the people that want to do affinity work have uh, what a friend of mine calls an anchor job for guiding. So they'll mm-hmm. guide on the side, but have a full-time anchor job as well. Because sure. they, when they think affinity work, they're like, oh, I'm going to volunteer my time. I'm not going to get paid. Another unique aspect of us as an affinity group is that we pay all of our guides every time they go out to teach. Um, and so within that mix, we also do have full-time guides that guide full-time for other organizations or guiding companies as well. Gotcha. Okay. Copy. No, thanks, we think it's important to pay people of color. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Is, uh, has Scott Underwood been a gentleman that's helped out with the, with the rebolting maybe? I'm not familiar with that name though. Our major okay. connection in the WCC has been Gabriel Cisneros. Okay. One of the few people of color in the, their organization. Yeah. I, Scott's a gentleman Yeah, with the WCC that I had on the show years ago, and he does a lot of rebolting stuff. So thought I'd ask, what's uh, what's the details? Give us the, give us the lowdown on the grit scone, not grit stone, 
like we're kind of familiar with from like the UK and stuff, but grit scone maintenance. Like a scone that you okay. need. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I wanted to touch upon the fact that it's really important work that conservation work is important. And the reason that we got into it is because you know that our sport, it's rapidly growing and there are more feet on the trails, more wear on the trails. And I remember a similar sunny weekend back in 2005 when I started, you know, I could see less than a quarter of the people that I see now on a similar sunny day. Right. And then over the past two years, We've had 150 participants just in our rock instruction courses, and that's not to mention our mountaineering or backcountry skiing courses. Uh, so we feel a sense of responsibility to bring awareness to people of their impact on these outdoor spaces. And as COC being the preeminent BIPOC organization in the realm of climbing and not just in the Northwest, we want to instill values of conservation in these climbers. So we think it's important. It's absolutely important. I mean, when I started climbing in nine years ago and I had gone, Keith got me into climbing and I went to Gritscone with him. These uh, issues that this crag has had were still are still there today. And back then I looked around and I didn't see a problem. I was like, oh, this is climbing. This is what this area looks like. And we're just going to climb and have fun and not really think about our impact. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of history on Gritscone. Yeah. Um, it's a, a crag near North Bend, Washington at exit 38 in an area called the far side. It's about a 35 foot crag. So it's fairly short, which lends itself to newer climbers or people getting back into leading, et cetera, because it's short and you can access the crag um, from the backside uh, to get to the anchors, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the crags themselves are maintained, from my understanding, maintained by Washington State Parks. Um, but essentially what happened was the developers, the route developers went in and bolted these climbs and they didn't develop the surrounding area. So there's a lot of trees very close to the crag. And so there's just all these roots coming out that are exposed from extreme um, erosion over the years. There was no like tiered system in place to be able to protect those trees. The other issue is getting up to the top mm -hmm. access. There was a bunch of social trails. And so everyone, it's just a free for all. You're just walking everywhere. You're trampling uh, local flora, you know, and um, causing more erosion as well. And so what we ended up doing was partnering with the WTA, the Washington Trails Association, and asking them what could be done. So essentially, we are working with them um, and their people of color, which is nice, going up to the, uh, excuse me, essentially, we're working with people of color in their organization to run people of color work parties to cut a trail to access the top of the crag. Um, mm -hmm. The base, however, with all the erosion, unfortunately, they're going to have to haul in a ton of material in order to undo what has happened, um, which is going to be quite costly, unfortunate, unfortunately. And so I know there's been a number of people in the WCC and the WTA looking around for funding options to bring in material, haul in material, because it's in a very unique position, a very unique place 
with its own challenges um, in order to create that tiered system. It's easier to erode than it is to bring in material, right? So if anyone listening happens to see a Gritscone policy or funding request slide across your desk, please say yes. People of color are working at that crag. We want to love it more and we want to make sure it's going to be available for future generations as well. And and it is an entry point for people in the climbing. It can't yeah. So, I think that's where I learned to lead climb actually. And yeah. we we use it extensively. Guiding companies use it extensively. Oh. Who and thought you lead climbing? <laughs> you did, actually. <laughs> so at the Washington Trails Association, specifically, I'd like to thank Jer- Jay Tarife, Zachary Tolliver, Angelique Friday, Beatrice Rojas-Vesquez, and Jeremy Park for all of their continued work over the years to make this crag more sustainable. Um, and just one note, we're not placing any blame on the developers for not creating any kind of um, infrastructure at the bottom, because at the time, as Keith was saying, there weren't a lot of climbers. I don't think they anticipated the amount of growth that the sport would see. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not an uncommon thing. I mean, when you're there developing a route, you're, you're mostly focused on the route itself, but the, you know, the whole climbing experience begins at the car, at the parking lot. Yep. You know, and having the facilities at the parking lot, have somewhere to park, a bathroom if you can, you know, bathrooms are expensive or interpretive signs. And then it's the trail up to the crag and then it's the base area at the crag and then it's the top of the crag. And there's so many different uh, like tiers uh, along the, from the car to the, to the cliff that need to be maintained and taken care of. So it's a lot to, not to um, undertake and, and, and build up and maintain over the years. Grits going, you can see, is basically CLC's pet project. Mm-hmm. And we put a lot of love and time into it. And hopefully, you said maybe two sessions next year? We're planning on two sessions next year, but that's still carving out the top access trail. Um, that's not addressing the mm-hmm. massive eros- erosion issue. There will have to be some creative uh, solutions for that. Yeah. So at the conference, you know, when we learned about Mount Fitzgerald and we were really impressed with how they went about doing that. It was a great example of the fulfillment of the actual title access fund. You made it accessible to everyone. Uh, There was planning and foresight and one of the best I've seen in crag development. And I've, I've been around for a bit, so I've seen a lot. (laughs) The ingenuity and the ingenious thing that I really liked was the fact that you used the mountain bike trail builders and, and tapped into their expertise, you know, to bring this vision they had to fruition. So, and for Gritscone, we also used, uh, or used, we partnered with, excuse me, the term, uh, with the Washington Trails Association and their expertise. So, you know, you can see these two projects, Gritscone and Mount Fitzgerald. It kind of shows the importance of how having relations with the local trail building organizations can strengthen, you know, your vision of the climbing crags. I mean, I've talked about relationships on this podcast extensively and mm-hmm. we can talk about it till we're blue in the face. I mean, it is perhaps like that, just like that focal point of these projects. Cause if you can't have the cooperation between all these groups, like you're probably not going to get very far funding yeah. or no funding, you know? Um, right. Yeah. You, know, you, you in like you said earlier, Keith. I mean, this conservation work is imperative. It's so important, and 
I just, yeah, I want to, I want to echo that because it's another thing we've talked about so much on the show. And, um, this, like I, I call it a stewardship gap between like the folks that are out recreating and the folks that actually participate in stewardship work. And there is, there is a gap to fill there. You know, it's a, it's a smaller percentage out of all the recreationists that actually participate in like a single stewardship event per year. You know, have you heard of Onyx backcountry? Are you familiar with like that backcountry, like the kind of navigation app that you can get? Oh, vaguely. Yeah. Kind of like Gaia or something. Exactly. It's another Gaia kind of platform. Exactly. Yeah, it's called Onyx, just O-N-X, Backcountry. But they did a whole like a report on, on stewardship and, and stuff. And they you know did a big survey between the people who are uh, recreating and, and how often they participate in stewardship work. And so I think if we can keep having these conversations and you guys providing events like this, you know, hopefully we can just keep closing that gap. It'll take a little while, but I hope we can close that gap over the coming years. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so important. Is there a way I could uh, I can kind of blast out the opportunities at, at Gritscone or what you guys go and have going on for next year? Could I could I help market that a little bit for you? Absolutely, That'd be great. I'll send you all the information. I still need to talk to the WTA. One thing that I did forget to mention in this is the WTA does have something called a BIPOC cohort. And so they take people of color and build up their skills in trail building and running trips and all that so that they can act, people can actually see that it is a viable um, career path as well. Mm, And so this project has also crossed paths with that um, program as well, which has been really special. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. (laughs) So Peter, you wanted us to mention our courses, even though, Crystal will send you what a list, a listicle of all of the courses. A listicle. Um, okay, <laughs> I remember where I was going with that. So we would be more than happy to have you, you know, blast out these opportunities because the more eyeballs on it, the better. Um, and yeah, I guess that was it. So yes, I will absolutely send that, send those to you once we have nailed down some dates but we're thinking once a year is not enough um so we're going to try to get some more sessions in there on to our courses as you were asking about (laughs) real quick keith let me interject i just wanted to say i'm really i'm really excited to hear that like those those um those trainings are being offered and and displaying folks that this could be a career this goes beyond just like volunteering for an event or two here's like a professional uh path that you can take so you know just thinking beyond just kind of the short term or just like a one Saturday you can take off to volunteer. Like spectacular. Love it. I'm glad you highlighted that. That is, that's true. And sometimes actually climbers of color can be that connector as well, because the person who is now the boss essentially of um, kind of that, that branch and that program to my understanding um, met their, their um, employee through climbers of color as well got interested and now they've come with back again and again and helped us run these um these uh sessions to to love on gritscone <laughs> i like it love on gritscone, love on gritscone. <laughs> we just have hashtag love on gritscone <laughs> yeah all right keith go ahead yeah tell, tell us about our courses okay so we're gonna split this up, but i'm gonna talk about the ones that i have an affinity for uh especially uh outdoor bouldering which I co-guide with Mercedes Palmier, Palmeyer, 
I know of her. Yes, I've heard her yeah. name. She's she's our crushing coach. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is ascending for photography, and that I co-guide with the illustrious Lady Lockoff. Irene. I know her name as well. Yep. She's a big name. Rock stars. Rock stars. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then the other two, uh, top rope climbing and intro to sport, because those are my like first two courses that I taught. So I'm, I have an affinity for these four, especially. And Crystal, you want to finish out? Yeah, the rest I'll of the list. Courses? I'll list out the rest because we have a, a lot: trad climbing, crack technique, multi pitch climbing, anchors cleaning and repelling, rescue techniques for climbing, rebolting, sport climbs, guidebooks, and crag development, uh, single pitch instructor course, and single pitch instructor exam. That one is in conjunction with Ting Ting Yi from um, Las Vegas, Nevada. They taught for the first time um, with us the SPI course this past season. Next season, we're anticipating doing an SPI exam. And again, these are for by POC affinity courses, kind of like the AMGA runs. But we are happy and so proud to be able to offer our own in the Washington area as well. Um, Keith and I developed the curriculum for most of these courses. We have taught most of these courses, honestly. Um and the upcoming season, specifically, I'll be teaching intro to multi-pitch. That's kind of my bread and butter uh, and rescue techniques and holding training sessions for our rock team um, as the rock team instructor. What's holding training sessions, holding training sessions, holding training sessions. Yes. Okay. For the rock team. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that, that's just the climbing courses. I mean, you got the backcountry skiing courses too. And mountaineering. And mountaineering. And yes. mountaineering. Yeah, we really try to support our guides too. So our we've grown so much over the years and to be able to watch people go through these courses and build their skills and then building guide skills um, for teaching as well. It's really been amazing. Yes. As I mentioned, I've been climbing for 18 plus years, but as a recreational climber and until Crystal and I started climbing together, a few years into that is when Crystal initiated this uh, concerted effort for us to get certified and and share this sport that we love with other people. So um, thanks, Crystal, for Aww, doing that. Thanks for getting yeah. me into climbing, Keith. Oh, yeah. Aww. Aww. <laughs> oh amazing. Um, well, yeah, is there anything else we want to leave the – the less the listeners with before we sign off here? I will say, I feel like conservation work can be a lot more fun than you think it is. You just have to find maybe your niche. I can tell you digging is not for me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like digging either. Cross cutting is for me. I am so into it. I think I'm going to take a cross cutting course with the WTA next season. I'm just, I'm all in. I really am. I really love rebolting, don't get me wrong. But if I'm going to do trail work, you will not find me digging. I will be cross-cutting. <laughs> yep. Yep. How about you? Did you have a favorite? A favorite? Oh, wow. You know, I really enjoyed busting up those rocks with the sledgehammer. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, and maybe that it's because funny. I was good at it. But, <laughs> yeah, it's a weird thing to say. I was good at busting rocks. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I, I did enjoy that. I got a satisfaction out of that. Mm. So. You know, I'm sure you guys have like trundled rocks in your in your time. And trundling, trundling yeah. like a boulder off the top of a, I mean. Crowbar? It's just like, 
it, yeah, crowbar. It's just, it's very satisfying. So, I, uh, I, I see why you like that, Keith. That makes sense. <laughs> well, Crystal, Keith, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time tonight. I, I really enjoyed chatting with you. I'm sorry we couldn't. We were supposed to do this in person the other week, but um, didn't pan out. So, yeah, we're we're here tonight. I'm so glad we got it done. Well, thank you for listening thank you. to yeah. us. Thank you so we much. Really for, appreciate it for being patient with us too. And we put so much time and effort into COC. Honestly, we haven't been recognized personally sometimes. And it's really touching that someone uh, nominated us for that. So also thank you, Jamie Sukhprasan, for nominating us to get an award for our work. We really appreciate it. Yeah. So well-deserved. So well-deserved. I'm excited to see where the COC goes from here. Us too. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I, I really hope you all enjoy this show as much as I enjoy making it. It's a lot of fun putting this together each month for you all to tune in and listen to. So thanks so much for listening. Before you depart, I want to run a few things by you. I started the show to bolster the efforts that these advocates do year after year, and of course, to support the mission of Access Fund. So I'd like to ask you to either donate or better yet, become a member of Access Fund. Your support and membership goes a long way to help them with their mission of conserving, stewarding, and advocating for climbing. There are varying levels that you can that you can become a member at, but you can get started for as low as 20 bucks a year, and after that, you can reap all kinds of awesome benefits with first getting a free t-shirt and getting amazing discounts on some of the best climbing products out there. It's all listed on Access Fund's website, accessfund.org, so check it out. If you're a rock climber, please consider becoming a member of Access Fund. Second, if you want to do me a huge solid, please subscribe to the show and leave a glowing review and comment on Apple Podcasts. After that, jump on those social media channels and share it with your friends. It goes a long, long way, and I'd greatly appreciate if you help me out with that one. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it, and I'll catch you all next time.